Welcome to the world of the Western esoteric tradition. Thank you for tuning into episode number 9 of the Thoth Hermes podcast, which is being released on August 17, 2017. I am your host, my name is Rudolf, and I am very happy to welcome you for this show. I am producing Thoth Hermes podcast and its linked website, from a smallish town just outside the lovely Austrian capital, Vienna. I'm looking forward to passing some time together with you in this podcast, presenting personalities and news from the world of the Western esoteric and occult tradition. Today's featured guest is British author and publisher Colin Stanley. I came across his work when I was researching about renowned British writer Colin Wilson, who died in 2013 and whose contribution to the occult realm consisted mainly, but certainly not exclusively, in the writing of a book trilogy that became a standard in the 1970s and 80s and still is today. And I will also be joined by the wonderful Gary Lachman for a short comment on Colin Wilson, who is kind of posthumously our featured guest today. Thoth Hermes podcast can be found, streamed or downloaded from the Thoth Hermes website at www thoughthermes.com that is t-h-o-t-h-e-r-m-e-s dot com where you can also find all the show notes, articles, reviews, etc. as well as, of course, all the previous episodes. Beyond that, this podcast can be found on many different platforms such as Blueberry, Apple Podcasts, the former iTunes, Android, Spreaker, Stitcher, and an increasing number of podcasting providers who have started to list our show, which I'm very grateful and happy for. So, wherever you are, on whatever device you work, you have the opportunity to listen. And now, 
Some feedback. I would like to thank all my regular listeners for having been patient with me during my very busy last two months. You might be happy to hear that today the news and review section will finally be back in this episode. And also, I would like to remind you that later this year there will be further developments in Thought Hermes, both on the podcast and the website. If you have any specific wishes in this respect, if there are topics you would absolutely like to hear about, guests who you would like to suggest for an interview, or more general features and ideas, please do let me know. I will be happy to include them wherever possible. In a minute, I will let you have the details how to get in touch with me, so prepare a pen or your electronic device to take them down. What makes me happy are the increasing number of listeners that I can see on the download statistics of my provider. This is really encouraging and gives me a lot of energy. I was about sure that Greg Kaminsky, who was our guest on the last episode, would attract many listeners, but he beat all Thoth Hermes records and we had over 600 downloads of episode number 8 only in just a week. This is really great. Thanks to all of you and special thanks to Greg. More popularity though apparently makes you also more interesting for the bad guys. I have noticed an increasing number of attacks on the website, but so far, thanks to a rather good software protection, no harm seems to have been done. I will keep the level of security high and will also increase it a bit, so I hope all will continue to be fine, but I would request you all to let me know if you see any problem or suspicious action on the Thorthermes website so I could react quickly if needed. Thanks for this. Talking about improving, I am not always happy with the sound quality yet. And of course, you sometimes also depend on the quality of a Skype connection for an interview. But I am constantly trying out new options and tweaks to make Thorthermes sound better. This time I'm really happy to announce that I have invested in a new and much better microphone on my end, so I hope you will be able to hear that in my comments. The interview with today's guest has still been done with the old setup, but as from the next episode also this will happen through the new microphone. And I hope this will not have been the last technical improvement. Okay, friends and listeners, if you want to come back to me about all this or other matters, here come the announced contact possibilities. Either go on the website and use the contact form to write or the speech pipe tab for a voicemail there. Alternatively, send me an email on info at thoughthermes.com or if you prefer, Go on Facebook or Twitter.
Twitter, where Thor's Hermes can easily be found. I would really appreciate your feedback. Also, do subscribe to the newsletter to stay on top with all information about our podcast. So, this was a bit longer, but I needed to catch up a bit with you. In order to relax, let's listen to the first piece of music of today. The choice of music has been done by our interview guest Colin Stanley. And therefore, I'm now going to play for you a piece by the British new wave band XTC, who were founded in 1976 and were active on and off until about 10 years ago. But some of their members still are active today. You're going to listen to their song Laugh on a Farm Boy's Wages from their 1983 album Mummer.
Wages from 1983 by British band XTC. Lyrics and links may be found in the show notes and on the music page of the website. Here comes the interview. As I said a little earlier, it was my intention with this episode to honor British writer Colin Wilson, who, after an already successful career as an author, to the big surprise of many, got a commission to write a book on the occult. Colin Wilson was one, if not the most important exponents of English existentialism, and so it was even more surprising that he did not stop at this first book of 600 pages, called simply The Occult, but that this became the first of a trilogy on the subject. And it became one of the most important books on occultism and the paranormal that has ever been written. Later, Colin Wilson also wrote novels where occultism played an important part. Sadly enough, Colin Wilson died a few years ago. But I wanted to give an answer how somebody whose philosophy was existentialism, who has not, to our knowledge, been active as an occultist, let alone been member of such an organization, could become the author of a standard work for the Western esoteric tradition. To answer that question, I got in touch with Colin Stanley for today's interview. Colin Stanley has worked for decades as a librarian at Nottingham University. He became the bibliographer of Colin Wilson and is today one of the specialists of his work. An author and also publisher himself, he has done a lot to keep the memory of Colin Wilson alive, also by organizing conferences, etc. This interview contains also a lot of information beyond occultism, but it is important to paint a clear image of who Colin Wilson was. As a special feature after the interview with Colin Stanley, I will also present a short talk with famous occult writer Gary Lackman, who is also one of the leading specialists on Colin Wilson and who published a book about him in the fall of 2016 called Beyond the Robot. Join me now to meet Colin Stanley. I would like to welcome for this episode of Thoth Hear Me's podcast 
Colin Stanley. Good evening, Colin. Good evening. It's a great pleasure to have you here for our listeners and myself. The subject or the main subject of our talk tonight is British author Colin Wilson and yourself, Colin Stanley, of course, your relationship to Colin Wilson's work. So my first question, Colin Stanley, to you is, what's your background? How did you become what you are today? And how did you get in touch with Colin Wilson's work in the first place? Yes, yes. Well, um, I was born in 1952, and that makes me 65 years old now, a, a pensioner, incredibly. I was born in a small town in Devonshire, which is in southwest England. And I was educated at Exmouth School, which again is in, in Devon. And I lived a rather secluded life in a small town for about 20 years. And then I moved to London for two years, which was, as you can imagine, a rather a culture shock. Um, I had uh, worked for a Devon County Library and they decided rather unwisely to send me to London to study for two years on full pay. And wow. who was made to say, no, I won't, I won't go. <laughs> a wonderful opportunity. And so it turned out. So that is the early part of my life. In London, I studied for two years, or I should have studied for two years. But in fact, I enjoyed myself immensely. I, I went to the School of Economic Science and studied uh, their philosophy lectures. In the evenings, I went around to cinemas and theatres and um, did all sorts of things apart from really doing my uh, librarianship studies. But whilst I was there, I met my, my wife, who was also studying librarianship, Gail, and uh, we've now been together for 40, 40-odd years. Uh, upon leaving London, I moved back um, to the West Country, uh, I had to go back uh, because um, they'd been paying my wages and I had to go back and work for them for two years, um, which I did. I then took a break and went to live on Dartmoor for a year, just walking around and writing and then moved to Nottingham where I've been living ever since and working um, as a librarian at the University of Nottingham. In 2005, I took a severance deal from the university and I've been working from home ever since, writing and publishing. Well, that sounds interesting. I think you're also head of a small publishing company, aren't you? That's right, Pauper's Press, which was started in 1983 now. Very humble beginnings. I did an index for a little literary magazine called the Aylesford Review. That was a review that was run in the 60s, 50s and 60s by a Carmelite monk called Brockard Sewell, who was a friend of Colin Wilson's and Colin wrote uh, many articles for, for the Aylesford Review. And whilst I was working at Nottingham University, we happened to get a, a set of, of the Aylesford Review and I thought, well, let's do something creative. So I 
created um, an index for it, and that was the very first Corpus Press publication. So that uh, reminds us that was in the 1980s, correct? Yeah, yeah, early 80s, 83. Mm -hmm. And, well, now that you just mentioned Colin Wilson's name for the first time, you have been leading a life among books, basically, whole of your life, which I think is great. Many people will envy you. The problem with being a librarian is that you don't really have a lot of time to look at books. I <laughs> thought, you know, oh, great, I'm going to be a librarian, so I'll, I'll be able to you know, read all these wonderful books. But the problem is that librarians are more concerned with how the books are arranged on the shelves and, and what is actually in the books. <laughs> so I found librarianship a very frustrating career. Okay, well, that's the, probably the realistic point of view. I'm sure you're right. Yes, I have always had an interest in literature. Uh, ever since I was in my mid-teens, really, I had a, a liking for horror stories you know, Dracula and uh, things like that. I first discovered Colin Wilson's work in 1970, I think it was, when i just left school and I was at a, a loose end before starting my first job. Mm -hmm. And I was just uh, relaxing in the cathedral yard, the beautiful cathedral yard in Exeter in Devon. And it came on to rain, so I ran into a bookshop, spun a spinner of paperbacks, and it stopped with a paperback staring straight at me with the title Ritual in the Dark, which was Colin Wilson's first novel. And you know that particularly attracted me because in the blurb it said it was about um, a modern-day Jack the Ripper, and... As I've just said to you, I was interested in anything that was a little bit on the gory side. So, mm. you know, a novel about uh, Jack the Ripper, a modern-day Jack the Ripper, I thought sounded a good read. And indeed it was, although, you know, not quite what I, I, I was expecting. It was a, a, an extraordinary novel. I still think it's, um, it's Colin Wilson's best and most powerful novel mm -hmm. about three outsiders really certainly a novel of uh, very very interesting ideas which i found extremely stimulating and so that i then went on to read some more of, of his novels and a very strange synchronicity uh, when i joined the the library uh, in exeter as a, as a library assistant, I was put in charge of a special collection of novels which included all of Colin Wilson's novels up to that point. Mm -hmm. And so I read them all, basically. Well, he was quite a prolific writer. Uh, I think it's over 110 books if we go uh, until the end of his life, right? Well, I've, I'm his bibliographer, as, as you I know. I know, yes. And I've got about 180 titles. Wow. Really. So, yes. Now, this was something I hadn't really realised when I wrote to him in, I think it was 1981, uh, suggesting that I become his bibliographer. I hadn't realised that I was 
probably taking on the most prolific writer of the 20th century. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine that. But what what brought you to the idea to become his bibliographer? Had you met him before, in person, I mean, or, or just through his books? Or what, what gave no, you the idea? I hadn't. No, I, I just joined the staff of the University of Nottingham Library and... My job wasn't really very fulfilling. I was filling out the accessions register for new books, uh, just writing them down in this register. And so I didn't find it particularly stimulating. So I was looking around for, for things that I could possibly do. And one, one idea was to perhaps uh, become Colin Wilson's bibliographer, as I'd read quite a lot of his work by then. Uh, so I wrote to him, and virtually by return of post, he sent a very, very encouraging letter listing a lot of the, the things that he'd, he'd written and what he was writing about at the, at the time, and more importantly, inviting me to come and look through his library. So I took him up on that, and I've been going there sort of every year, I think, so basically, you were inspired by his own books, those you had read until then, and that gave you the idea because you had some time in Nottingham, right? Yes, that's right. Yes, mm -hmm. I was at a loose end, and um, I wasn't particularly fulfilled in, in my uh, <laughs> profession. And so I thought of some way of finding something a little more stimulating to do. Yeah. Well, our podcast here is, of course, a podcast which deals mostly with the Western esoteric tradition. And the reason that I am speaking today with you about Colin Wilson is not only about this trilogy, as you call it in, in your works, the Occult Trilogy. Just to fill our listeners very briefly in, and you will be the one who can tell us much more about that. Colin Wilson had written that novel you had mentioned, and The Outsider, and that had made him a writer that had been much in the focus of the interest of the press and of the audience at that time, together with John Osborne. I think they, they were Correct. always put together uh, a little bit. And then... Maybe 10 years later, in the early 70s, or a bit later even, suddenly he got an, he needed also some work because, well, you'll tell us more about it. And then he suddenly got that offer to write that book about the occult. And that changed much of his author's life also. But let not me talk. Do tell us about that. Well, yes, it, it, I think it was in the late... 1960s that he got his first commission. Before that, he'd, he'd written more or less as he pleased, and um, he could find uh, publishers for more or less whatever he cared to write. But this was, was his first commissioned, The Occult was his first commissioned book, um, a sign, really, that he'd um, come of age as a, as a professional writer, I guess. And he always said that at first he wasn't particularly keen on writing about the occult. It didn't really interest him a great deal. But once he started to do a little bit of research 
into into the occult, he, he started to find it absolutely fascinating. Um, he's always considered his serious occult books, that is, the occult trilogy, which was the occult, uh, a book uh, published seven years later called Mysteries, and the third one, ten years after that, uh, Beyond the Occult, uh, to be a logical extension of his his new existentialism, which was his uh, the books, the outsider cycle books, uh, philosophy books, which he'd written in the late fifties and well into the to the nineteen sixties. He said it provided evidence. Um, for him, that uh, man possesses uh, latent powers which, if tapped and harnessed, uh, could lead to hugely expanded consciousness and uh, potentially even an evolutionary leap. Mm-hmm. So, although he says that he's never, he wasn't particularly interested in the occult. If you read his novels, in particular his novels uh, from the 60s, you will find occult references scattered throughout them. And he did admit to having a library of over 500 books on the occult. So I think you have to say that um, he had more than a passing interest in the subject. Um, That was really the background behind the writing of the occult. And it was very beneficial to him because the critics who had hailed the outsider in 1956 and said he was a genius and all that, and then decided, oh no, he's not a genius, (laughs) when his next book, Religion and the Rebel, came out, then decided to ignore him for, for 10 years, suddenly decided that, well, he was perhaps a good writer after all. And the occult got some very, very good reviews and his reputation was enhanced by the publication of of this remarkable book. It is a remarkable book and I will come back to that in a minute. Just by curiosity, a a short question to you. You were just mentioning, and I also read it, I believe, in the preface to the occult, that he owned the library with about 500 titles dealing with the occult, more or less. Um, Did you manage during your visit to to see that library? And do you remember what kind of titles would have been in that uh, part of his library? Well... (laughs) The whole place was a library, basically. Um, every inch of the wall space was covered with, with books. Um, he said he had at least 30,000 books. The chalet in his grounds where I, where I slept was, covered, was full of books. He had two sheds built which were, which were full of books. It was quite extraordinary, really. So not only a prolific writer, but also a prolific collector of books. <laughs> Very much so, yes, yes. And of course, he lived way out in, in the wilds in southwest England in, in Cornwall, which mm-hmm. is the um, county that's right on the southwest tip of, of, 
of England. So it wasn't very easy for him to run along to the nearest library and do his research. So, you know, he had to have a fair amount of reference material at his disposal. Mm-hmm. But you have no memory of specific titles or specific direction of that occult part of the library? Well, I mean, he was he was very interested in, in all aspects of the mm. occult. And, you know, he had um, books on Crowley, obviously. Um, they were together. And Steiner, I think, also was Steiner. one of his. Yes, Gurdjieff. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was a remarkable, remarkable library. And, and books on sort of philosophy kind of morphed into, into the occult, really as did his his own work. Yes. What struck me when I read his uh, biography and what you just said is that it's kind of extreme change. It's not somebody who had written, well, novels about some subject and then taken on the commission writing about the occult, but it seems to me like a very long stretch from the outsider, which is, as you said, English existentialism, he founded English existentialism, one could say, if I'm not wrong. That's right, yes. And then the occult is mostly seen, at least nowadays, maybe it was a bit different in the late late 60s, early 70s, as something rather on the other end of the the spectrum. Yes. How did that occur? Well, I mean... Of course, he, he, he lost a, a lot of readers as a result of um, writing the occult because mm. uh, the people who had appreciated his his books on existentialism thought he was just uh, sort of jumping onto the occult bandwagon and selling out, so to speak. But um, having said that, he, he lost many readers as a result of delving into the occult. He gained many, many more, because um, he gained a lot of people who were very interested in the subject. And of course, at that time, let's not forget this was the late 60s, early 70s, mm-hmm. there was a sort of counterculture revolution going on, and a lot of people were interested in, in these subjects. So. Yes. Um, so he did uh, gain a lot of readers. But he also always argued, as, as I said earlier, that these uh, three books were just a logical extension of, of his new existentialism, uh, providing evidence that man possesses uh, latent powers which um, could lead to hugely expanded consciousness, which is, of course, what his work was all about, really. Yes, I think he sees that very much as a part of a possible development of mankind, right? Yeah. Mm. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I find that very interesting. I don't know any other existentialist who has talked about occultism in that same way. The no. surrealists in the arts do it also partly, but that's maybe a slightly different but still a bit similar approach, but in existentialism, I think he is the only one, isn't he? Yes. Well, it was his belief, basically, that um, civilization cannot evolve until the occult is taken for granted um, on the same level, he says, as atomic energy. So, Mm -hmm. 
very interesting. And that breach with the establishment. I mean, you're very rightly pointing out, and thank you, because I forgot that myself, and it reminds also our listeners, we are talking early 70s, late 60s, and of course, occultism then is not what it is today. There was much less literature around, and chaos magic did not exist or just came into being slowly, etc., etc. So, yes, it was more counterculture than today. But still, it was a breach with the establishment. And I read today, before we started our interview, the obituary uh, for Colin Wilson in 2013, so many, many years after the book The Occult. And it was from The Guardian. Of course, now The Guardian probably was more interested by existentialism than by the occult. But when you read that obituary, I don't know if you have it in mind, it's almost like if after The Outsider, Colin had just written rubbish, you know? (laughs) And he doesn't even mention the trilogy. He mentions all those other novels where the occult and the paranormal plays a certain role in his work. And we come to that maybe a bit later. But that breach stayed for the rest of his life, or did it, is that just a single opinion which is a bit extreme, the one in The Guardian? Well, no, I mean, that is the tone, really, of most of the uh, obituaries that were written. I think mm. there was only one really good obituary uh, which appeared in the national newspapers and that was the one that was written by a chap called Marcus Richardson I think in in the Independent and he obviously knew a lot about uh, um, Colin's work and uh, produced a very good obituary uh, an overall view of Colin's career whereas the others as you just said think that after the outsider there was nothing Really, of any worth or merit whatsoever, right. mm. which was very unfortunate and must have been. Well, I, I know it was it was very frustrating for him, um, really. But he just um, he just carried on writing and doing his thing. Yeah. Before we come to the occult trilogy, let's speak briefly, or please tell us more about those. Well, I just summed them up as the smaller titles talking about occult, paranormal subjects, etc. Can you just tell us a little bit about those and how you see them? Yes, well, after the occult came out, then he was invited to to do all sorts of coffee table books, uh, you know, sort of ephemeral works, I I would say, on, on the subject. This is why I stick really to the to the occult uh, trilogy uh, because uh, these three books are are substantial and most of the other titles were um, just just written basically for the money i think and because there was uh, a great interest in that subject at that time and he got um, lots of commissions to to write uh, to write uh, these books right and he took also up on the, to me as a continental European, very British subject, which is a crime, Jack the Ripper, serial killing, 
uh, mysteries, uh, crime. That's also something that, that fascinated him, apparently. Absolutely, yes. Uh, when he lived in London, he did a series of essays for the London Evening Standard on, on Jack the Ripper mm -hmm. um, and became really um, the expert on, on Jack the Ripper, um, the one that all the others refer to. So, yes, he's, he's always had an interest in, in crime and in particular uh, serial crime. Um, he wrote in the early 60s a huge encyclopedia of murder with a journalist called Pat Pittman. And this book um, was an A to Z of, of murderers, basically, and it was something that had never been done before. Uh -huh. he, he sort of anticipated the boom in true crime writing by about 20 years by, by writing this, this particular book. He then went on to write uh, several other books um, on the subject, There was a casebook of murder um, in the in the 1960s, and and a book called Order of Assassins, which was a sociological study of murder in in the in the 70s, and then uh, topped that with the Mammoth book, um, which came out in 1984, which was called uh, A Criminal History of Mankind which I've just been struggling with to uh, try and uh, write an essay about. I've been given 2,500 words, and I've got to reduce a 900-page book, pricey of it, in, in under 2,500 words for this um, literary encyclopedia, which I'm writing for. So and that was not an easy task at all, and it's very difficult to do a But um, that, that was really the culmination of his interest in crime. And I would recommend that book to anyone who uh, is interested in the subject. Uh, mm -hmm. Take a long time to read, but um, <laughs> it's a fascinating book. Yeah, now we take good note of that. Very interesting to learn so many things about Colin Wilson through the experiences of Colin Stanley. Talking about occultism in the 1970s and 80s often seems to me almost like time traveling. I was young then myself, and the UK was extremely prolific in the field of occultism. If you're interested more in that subject, I would advise you to listen to episode one of our podcast featuring Alan Richardson who also painted a very complete picture of that period. Talking about time period, here comes another piece of music, that one even from the 1960s, and also chosen by Colin Stanley. A whiter shade of pale. A rather psychedelic piece, which one would call Baroque rock. Hamalong and enjoy.
British band Procol Harum performing their song A Whiter Shade of Pale. We now return to Colin Stanley, who will tell us more about the Occult Trilogy and many other aspects of Colin Wilson's work and life. And afterwards, stay tuned for a short extra featuring Gary Lackman, also about Colin Wilson. Let's then move on to the Occult Trilogy. You have mentioned earlier the three titles. The Occult is the first of them. Then we have Mysteries as the second volume, one might say. And the third is called Beyond the Occult. I am very impressed by those books because I've read many books, as you might imagine, on the subject. And I find those three volumes have a very unique, particular approach. Probably by that underlying philosophy of development of mankind you mentioned earlier. But yeah. there is something which leaves me as a reader very relaxed. And it's like a very objective approach to occultism, if that is at all possible. Probably it is always subjective up to a certain point, but yeah. it, it gives an as objectively as possible approach. W would you see it like that as well? Or yes, what's, your, what's your take uh, on that? Although many people have said that he was far too gullible, but he always said that he researched the subject And if there were several reliable witnesses who could corroborate these occult uh, experiences, there's no reason why we shouldn't believe them. Do you know if he himself has been active, say, in ceremonial magic or even being part of a group or hermeticism or whatever, but was he actively participating in that work or was he the observer who believed this could be true. He was very much the observer. No, I, I don't believe that he was actively involved at all in, mm -hmm. in, in the occult. Um, and he always used to say to me that he was sort of ESP sick in that he, could, <laughs> he had no ability uh, as far as ESP is concerned. I believe he... Yes, I did see him dousing, so he was able to able to douse, mm -hmm. not as well as his wife Joy, who was a very responsive um, dowser. But so he had some sort of um, affinity with uh, practical affinity in in that way. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, he he didn't really um, go in for any of the ritual magic or anything of right. that. That's That's maybe what made it possible for him to, to write a book that leaves us with that impression I just gave. Yes, um, Gary, Gary Lackman likes to tell the story of uh, when he went to a party in New York uh, and David Barry was there and Barry had heard that uh, Lackman was interested in Colin Wilson and he went up to him and said, oh yes, I understand Colin Wilson runs a coven in deepest Cornwall. And, uh, <laughs> and Gary said, well, uh, that's news to me, David. I, I have no idea about that. Uh, and I think you're wrong. 
And then a few minutes later, a couple of heavy bouncers appeared, one on either side of him, and suggested that um, Mr. Uh, Bowie was, was tired and that uh, he should leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been a big surprise that Colin Wilson was the head of a coven. <laughs> <laughs> Can you maybe briefly sum up for our listeners uh, those three books, what they contain, each of them, a brief insight. The Occult is, is, a, is a huge book, as, uh, as you probably know. It, it was well over 600 pages, yeah. uh, and the other two were equally, equally bulky. And uh, as I just said, they spawned uh, numerous popular illustrated books on the subject. So the occult, as far as I can remember, that is divided into, into three parts. The first part is a survey of the subject, uh, which states his own preoccupations and convictions. The second is a history of magic, which concentrates on individual uh, mages and adepts. And the third part, Man's Latent Powers, uh, looks at witchcraft, spiritualism, ghosts, with a final chapter that um, discusses the metaphysical questions that arise out of occultism. So that's the occult itself. Uh, Mysteries is, is sort of a similar setup, except that in the introduction to Mysteries, he introduces what he calls the ladder of selves and it includes some important insights. He, he recounts um, how he had a series of panic attacks in the mid-1970s and the way he managed to overcome them. Right. And he also starts going more into the paranormal area there, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah, so, well, part one, he introduces his readers to... T.C. Lethbridge, who you probably know about, um, mm -hmm. British archaeologist and parapsychologist, who he was, well, he was friendly with his uh, wife, wife Mina Lethbridge. I'm not sure whether he actually met Tom Lethbridge. He might have died before before the occult, uh, before the mysteries was was published. Mm -hmm. but significant uh, section of mysteries is devoted to Lethbridge and his system of divination and, and dowsing. So then it goes on to uh, examine uh, the phenomenon of multiple personality. And in the final part, he turned his attention to um, evolution and argued that uh, mental evolution is uh, a basic law of the universe. This is a quote from him. It is as if a higher level of consciousness is trying to persuade us to bring it into actuality. So that reflects again his evolutionary theory, if one might call it like yeah, that. Yeah, so yes, mm -hmm. yeah. And beyond the cult is the third volume then? Where does that lead the reader? Well, Beyond the Occult is a kind of a, of a summary uh, book. It uh, sums up the 30-odd years of research that he'd, he'd done into the, into the subject. So 
uh, an important book, I think. Um, and in fact, Colin often said that it was his most important non-fiction book. The third volume, the Beyond the Culture, you mean? Yes. So uh, if you are going to just read one of the occult trilogy, then I would recommend Beyond the Occult, mm. which, as I say, sums up all of uh, what he's learned in the in thirty odd years uh, of, of paranormal research. Yes. Uh, Here, I think, is the moment that I would also like to point to. Your book, you wrote a book which I believe is called Your Cultural Student's Guide, if I'm not wrong. That's right, yes. yes so I, um, I think this would be a good recommendation for those who don't have the time to read the three volumes by Colin. I think they get a very good insight and help with those books by your books, Colin. Oh, thank you very much. But I mean, There's 1,600 pages um, <laughs> forming the, the occult trilogy, so it is a lot, a lot to, to, to plow through. But having said that, I mean, uh, this is, these are not academic books. These are right. not difficult to read. And Colin's great, great ability as a writer was that he was always very, very readable. And so they are a joy to read, but um, absolutely can be a little bit daunting if you think, well, sixteen hundred pages to get through. <laughs> well, the the good end is that uh, our listeners are very much used to read occult books, and many of those have many many pages, as you probably know very well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to pick your brain on one. No, on several more books, but on one in particular, because we were just talking about those subjects, there is one smaller book. I think it's a rather late book by Colin Wilson, which is called Super Consciousness. Yes, uh, that's a very late book. In fact, it's one of his last last books. And that is, uh, he he aims to summarize, you know, all his all his ideas and all all his work basically. Um, so that so might I, maybe also be some for someone who doesn't know Colin Wilson yet. Uh, is that a good starting point or is it rather difficult to start with that? No, it's a very, very good introduction to, to his work. And it was published in 2009. I believe it's still still in print. Um, yeah. And also it exists as an ebook. I think the other two yes. also at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. In the in the 80s, he compiled an essential Colin Wilson book, which is also very, very good, which co contains chapters that he's extracted from his previous uh, previous work. Unfortunately, that's been a long time out of print, so that might be um, difficult to, to come by. But that is, is also a very good way into uh, Colin's work. Right. And then I wanted to ask you about something that, but at least me, I was not so much aware of. But Colin Wilson also wrote several biographies of occult personalities, like, well, Alastair Crowley, maybe that's the best known of them. And I don't think it painted a very favorable picture of Crowley, but 
There are also others, other biographies. Yes, yes. I mean, he was absolutely fascinated by Crowley, um, but he didn't like him very much, <laughs> I think you can say. Yeah. Um, as early, in fact, as the early 60s, he, he wrote a novel called Man Without a Shadow, which was uh, published in the United States as the sex diary of Gerald Storm. And there's a character there called Caradoc Cunningham, who is based on on Crowley. So as early as the 60s, he was obviously fascinated by, by Crowley. Um, right. To the extent that he created a character in the, in the novel based around him. I think he had also a bit that same hate-love with Lovecraft, didn't he? Yes, yes, he did. Yes, yeah. well, he did with a lot of people, actually. <laughs> he got a tremendous amount of mileage out of people like uh, Lovecraft, um, uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, Gurdjieff we had talked about before. No, Gurdjieff he liked a lot more. I think he, okay. he, he was uh, a, a, an extremely important... In fact, I think he said he was the most important philosopher of the 20th century. Right. So, yes, he did... Uh, um, regard uh, Gurdjieff uh, very highly, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you say, there are these characters like Crowley, others that he... Uh, D.H. Lawrence, another another one, uh, mm-hmm. Graham Greene. He wrote about them a great deal and, and refers to them again and again in his writing. Uh, Samuel Beckett, of course, a great writer who he didn't like very much at all. <laughs> so, got a tremendous amount of mileage out of and, uh, um, and wrote a great deal about. Well, you sometimes need those hate loves to yes. find Ooh. your own path, don't you? And it makes very good reading, of course, as well. Yes, like, of course, yes. Eating <laughs> he, around the head. <laughs> uh, yes, he was no stranger to that, of course. Well, just for our listeners, the biography for Alastair Crowley, I think, is called The Nature of the Beast, if I'm right. Correct, yeah. So that, that's a reference, but a reference to all the books we mention in this interview and also to Colin Stanley's books can be found in the show notes, as usual. So you know, dear listeners, where to go and get them. And the back of this little book that you mentioned that I, I wrote, um, the, the Occult Trilogy, A Guide for mm-hmm. Students, there is a, a complete checklist of, of his books on, on the occult. Um, right. Yes, as, as you say, all, all, the, all the books are, are listed there, uh, alongside articles that he'd written on, on, on the occult too. Yeah. No, I really believe that this book of yours is a very good introduction for those who have not yet had the chance to get to know and read Colin Wilson's work, because it gives a good introduction, it tells you where to continue, and as you just said, it has for people with occult interests a very precise summary of those books among the many, many books by Colin Wilson, which really refer to the occult and uh, might be of particular interest to our yeah. listeners. Yes, I, I, what I've done uh, basically is I've divided Colin's work up and I've written a student's guide to his 
Outsider Cycle, which is his philosophy books, mm-hmm. and then this student's guide to the occult trilogy, and then a third one on his, what he called his existential criticism, which was his, his work on, on literature. And I just had another one just come out called An Evolutionary Leap, which is a student's guide to Colin Wilson on, on psychology. Mm-hmm. So that's basically what I've been doing. It's uh, chopping his, his work up and producing students' guides to each uh, section. And I've got the uh, criminology to come, which is okay. rather daunting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Well, the one you just mentioned, the new title of yours that's just coming, or has yeah. come out probably, that leads me to that, well, maybe it's not a new question, it's just another name for something we've maybe already talked about. He uses the term faculty X. Yes. Yeah. How would you describe that faculty X? Well, this was a term that first appeared, I believe, in the occult, um, although it may have appeared earlier than that as a passing uh, reference, but he mm-hmm. didn't really call it Faculty X until until the occult. And it's this feeling that, you know, we have the reality of other, other times and, and other places. Uh, so it, it started off as uh, very specifically this, this idea that... Um, we could experience other times and other places. And, of course, the, the a great example he gives is of Marcel Proust uh, dipping the Madeleine into the herb tea, tasting it, and immediately being transported back to his childhood in Combray in, in France. So it's this feeling that, you know, we can actually experience other times and, and other places. Yeah. Called it Faculty X because I, I don't think you could um, think of a, an appropriate term for it. And certainly it's something which no one else had sort of picked up on. Um, but it is um, it, the experience of the reality of, of other times and yes. places. Yeah. And probably other terms that had been used had been tainted in a certain way which didn't correspond to what he felt or meant with it. So he needed a new term and that's That's the way he created that. I mean, we can have an experience of Faculty X uh, at any time. I mean, for example, last week uh, somebody came to our house uh, as a guest and and they brought a a pot plant of chrysanthemums and as soon as I smelt the the chrysanthemums I was immediately transported back to my childhood uh, Mm -hmm. to where my father used to grow them in in his in his greenhouse and you know it was it's it's that sort of thing where you can get it involves the senses, of course. It doesn't have to be smell. It doesn't have to be taste. It could be um, something that you see or hear. Music, particularly, um, is very good for inspiring this this feeling of of, of faculty X, where right. you're actually transported back in in time. 
may I ask, Colin, what's your personal approach to the occult? I don't mean the book, I mean uh, the occult. What's your take on it? Are you interested or is it an academic subject for you? Well, I've always felt that there's more to life than meets the eye, let's put it that way. Um, and I've always been very interested in, in ghost stories and that sort of that sort of thing. I've, um, I'm interested in, in precognitive dreams and I'm prone to synchronicities. So, yes, I mean, I have more than a passing interest in, in the occult. I guess it was similar to, to Collins, really. Yeah, I'm not certainly not a skeptic. Right. But you're not active yourself either, just like Colin. No, no, I'm not, not active. But as I say, you know, I do have these remarkable synchronicities. I had a, a remarkable one the other day when I was uh, walking to the to the post office. I have to go to the post office more or less every day because I'm getting orders uh, for Paupers Press books. Mm-hmm. And on my way to the post office, I just happened to think, start to think about um, an old school friend who I hadn't um, seen since I left school in, uh, in 1970. And um, I thought about him and I rem- remembered his name. Um, he was called Andrew Pitts. Um, I remembered he was a pianist. And I thought to myself, well, I wonder what he made of his life and so, mm-hmm. what of him and such like and thinking about this and when I got to the post office I stood in a line behind a number of people and I just happened to notice that the woman in front of me had a parcel underneath her arm and I looked at the address on on the parcel just absent-mindedly and then had a shock because it was addressed to Andrew Pitts Hmm. (laughs) Um, I mean, absolutely extraordinary, isn't it, really? Yeah, absolutely. Carl um, Gustav Jung would have liked that story. This sort of thing gives you the feeling that, you know, there's something out there which is which means well by you and tells you occasionally that, you know, there's meaning and purpose to life. Well, you might not be active as, a, as an occultist, but... You're very active in regards to Colin Wilson's work, and you were already mentioning in the beginning of our talk uh, your edition, your your publishing house. Yeah. So maybe you will just remind us the name once again. It's Pauper's Pauper's Press. P U P E R S. Yeah. Right. It started in 1983 with this index um, to the Ellsford Review. Um, and then, as I got friendlier with Colin, he gave me a little essay to publish called An Essay on the New Existentialism. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I published that, and really, that's been Pauper's Press bestseller, really. Yeah. And it's, um, it's funded quite a lot of the subsequent titles, and really, um, Pauper's Press took off from, from that time. Mm-hmm. Since then, Colin's given me other other articles to publish, and um, 
And uh, as I became known as sort of an expert on his work, other experts from around the world started contacting me and sending me essays on his work. So I initiated a series called Colin Wilson Studies, which is a series of books and booklets about Colin Wilson's work. And the the last volume, which has just come out, is uh, number 26. So there's a lot of people out there who really are very interested in his his work. Um, Absolutely. And I can only uh, support that. A number of them came together last year when we had the uh, first uh, international Colin Wilson Yes, I was going to ask you that. And there is an up, well, you talk about that edition, and there is also an upcoming second edition planned already of such next, a meeting. Yes, next, next year. So if you can make it over, you'll be very, very welcome. That will be June, July the 6th, um, 2018, will be the second international Colin Wilson conference. And yes. where will that be? That will be at the University of Nottingham again. Right. Yes. And uh, at the University of Nottingham, you've already created that uh, the, the catalogue, right? The bibliography. Well, uh, what happened was that over the years, of course, I've built up a huge collection of his work. Um, and when our two children left home, we were rattling around in a rather big house over the other side of the River Trent here mm-hmm. in Nottingham. And we decided to sell up and buy a smaller house. And when that happened, I found that the collection was too big to, to house in my in my little house. And fortunately, the University of Nottingham said they would take it on. So all of my collection now is at the university, and that is uh, called appropriately the Colin Wilson Collection. And now it has been joined uh, by a significant number of Collins um, manuscripts and letters and journals. And they've just done a digital copy of the handwritten manuscript of The Outsider. So that is now available for students to, to consult at, at, at the university. Right. As you possibly know, I'm I'm in the process of helping um, Colin's widow Joy to to assess his his work. Right. And, uh, uh, he, get, he died three yeah. and a half years ago, didn't he? Yes, uh, December 2013. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're basically trying to um, get his work together and to gradually transfer it into the store at the University of Nottingham so that it is preserved for posterity. Yes. Well, this is all really fascinating. Thanks so much, Colin Colin Stanley, for talking to us. Is there anything personal or about Colin Wilson you would like to add and let listeners know? Maybe some new project beyond the new volume that you have already announced? Is there anything else you would like to let us know? I'm always working on (laughs) various projects. When I've been going through Colin's work, uh, we've discovered a number of manuscripts which um, haven't seen the light of day for a long time. Uh, For example, he started writing uh, a huge novel in the 1950s called Lulu, and he 
he never finished it, uh, despite it being commissioned by the BBC in the, in the 70s. He was still unable to finish it. I found several chapters of it, and we've just published that. Right. And there were a number of other manuscripts which we've, we've found, um, which um, I'm working on. There are reprints of his books. There's a real resurgence in interest in his work. So I've just um, finished editing uh, a book called Eagle and Earwig, which he wrote in the, in the 60s, uh, essays on literature. Mm-hmm. A Religion and the Rebel is, is about to be reprinted along with the, with the Age of, of Defeat. And last year alone, uh, six books were published about his work, including, of course, um, Gary Lackman. Gary Lackman, yeah. Beyond the Robot. Yeah, which so, is a kind of biography or something? It's, it's a combination, really. It's a book that I never thought would be able to be written um, because <laughs> in 1990, a Wilson scholar called Howard Dosser wrote Colin Wilson, The Man in His Mind, which was an attempt to summarize all of Wilson's work, mm-hmm. which was a monumental effort. And I thought that because his work had become so vast that no one would attempt to write an overall assessment again. And that's the reason why I started dividing his work up into these various sections and writing a book on each. But Gary has proved me wrong, really. He's done a remarkable job of assessing Colin's work and uh, interspersing it with the events in his life and uh, produced a book which I thoroughly recommend to to any listener called Beyond the Robot, The Life and Work of, of Colin Wilson. Well, Colin, thank you so much for your time and for everything you gave us today. Um, this was a very, very interesting and deep interview for me. Thanks so much for doing that and also thanking you because I think it's important that somebody took up the flame that Colin Wilson gave us and carries it on and helps that it will uh, survive for the future. Thanks so much for joining us tonight and I hope that we will be in touch sometime again soon. Oh, it's a pleasure speaking to you, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Colin Stanley for this lovely interview and all the memories and insight that you shared with us and made us understand the work of Colin Wilson and his contribution to the world of the occult and paranormal better. We are now going to listen to another popular voice talking about Colin Wilson. Renowned author Gary Lackman has recently written a book on Colin Wilson And I thought it would be interesting for us to have, in a short interview, his take on this personality and important author. Here comes Gary Lackman. I'm very happy to welcome you, Gary Lackman, for this short interview on Thoth Hermes. As you know, this episode is about British author Colin Wilson, and you are certainly one of the people who know most about him and I think knew him personally quite well. And you have also recently published, uh, well, 
I don't know if you wanted to call that a biography or a book about Colin Wilson. You will tell us. Welcome. <laughs> so, what was the book Beyond the Robot mainly from your point of view? Well, what I wanted to do was, in a way, write a book about Colin Wilson in the style of, say, Colin Wilson would have written it, because uh, he's done biographies of several of uh, you know different people, uh, Alistair Crowley or. Gurdjieff, Bernard Shaw, Wilhelm Reich, but he's very interested in their ideas and, you know, and their life and the narrative, but he's very interested in ideas and so am I. So what I wanted to do in Beyond the Robot, subtitled Life and Work of Colin Wilson, is to write that kind of book about him in order for people who may know of him, say with the occult books, the occult trilogy, or know his books on crime, or perhaps know his earlier books on uh, existentialism, but they haven't read all of them. And this is one of the common uh, sort of criticisms of Wilson from people that aren't aware of uh, his whole body of work is that, oh, he wrote about too many things and, you know, uh, and it's jumping around from this to that. But basically, there's a fundamental idea, which he announces in in the occult itself uh, at the very beginning, where he says, you know, there's this fundamental idea that uh, runs through all of his books and what he calls the paradoxical nature of freedom. And this sets him off on this quest about trying to understand what's wrong with human consciousness, basically. What I wanted to do was take all of his work and uh, tell his story, uh, but also go through uh, the main ideas and also go through all the work and all that. That's the feedback I've got from readers. Uh, people know Wilson's work is that, yes, they've, you know, they've enjoyed it very much and that it's sort of doing what I wanted it to do. I mean, I, I first started reading Wilson Many years ago, I first started reading him in 1975, when I was in my late teens and uh, living in New York. And I met him in 1983. I sort of went on a pilgrimage down to uh, Cornwall, uh, where he lived in a small village down there. His, his wife uh, still lives there, and he had been living there since the late 1950s. And from then until his death in 2013, I maintained a friendship with him and uh, got to know people like Colin Stanley, uh, through our mutual appreciation of Colin Wilson's work. Fundamentally, what I wanted to do is show that all of his work is related to this, this basic problem of consciousness. And it was from addressing this problem of what he calls the paradoxical nature of freedom, uh, first in an existential way that led him further on to the occult works and to his you know, sort of broader investigations into consciousness. Some people seem to say that the occult, as it was a commissioned work, the first volume, um, it was kind of strange that he had been commissioned to think like that. He had never appeared as being somebody who was obviously interested in the occult, like maybe mm. other people were. And mm. when I discovered that book at first, I didn't know that story. And I was fascinated by the different approach that he had to mm. many mm. questions around the occult. So how do you see that? How can somebody who as we think, has never been deeply involved, uh, at least actively, in occult practice. How mm. can somebody write such a deep and interesting book? Well, that's one of the miracles of being a freelance writer. <laughs> <laughs> now, he was approached with the book, and this was a time when there was a big occult boom uh, in publishing, in, in, uh, at least in English language, but I, I think on the continent as well. And people who had been forgotten for a long time, like Alistair Crowley, let's say, and, and others, uh, were being um, you know, remembered. And uh, yes, Colin just accepted the commission, as he says, you know, I, I needed the money. He'd always been interested in the occult, but he didn't take it seriously. He had an early novel 
which was called uh, The Man Without a Shadow, but uh, the publisher later changed it to The Sex Diary of Gerard Sorm. And one of the characters in it is based on Crowley. And, you know, Wilson also wrote, um, you know, sort of biography of Rasputin. Um, and there are a few other, you know, places in his early work where, and, and certainly, I mean, er, early on in The Outsider, he was talking about Gurdjieff. He's one of the first people to talk about Gurdjieff, who, you know, you might not consider him strictly occult, but still, um, uh, he, he turns up in, in the book, The Occult. But uh, this, this is what got me interested in it, because I was never interested in myself uh, when I first came across that book, precisely The Occult by Wilson, uh, which it came out in 1971. I I came across it in 1975, and I hadn't been interested in anything like that. I mean, the only sort of interest in the occult I had was through sort of uh, horror fiction or, mm. or horror films, or, you know, Lovecraft or the old Universal horror movies. I, I didn't take it seriously, but the milieu I was in at the time, there were a lot of kind of the debris left behind by sort of the 60s generation or sort of the, you know, the pre-punk kind of generation in New York. And his book was there along with a bunch of other stuff. And I just found, you know, people were still kind of interested in it. People older, you know, uh, sort of the maybe five, six, seven years older than me, who still had an interest in it. And when I picked it up and started looking at it, what really grabbed me was that he was talking about it in terms of things like existentialism or science or psychology and so on. It wasn't a book of spells. It wasn't uh, just a book of sort of horror stories or, or you know, just about astrology or something like that. And, and it was so well written. It's you know, rather systematic also. For well, well, but yeah, it is. But it's, but it's, you know, it's a popular sort of narrative, yeah. I mean, uh, study of it. But uh, yes, he, and he, he spells it out. But he also develops uh, in that book uh, the fundamental ideas or themes that he'll explore for the rest of his career after that, this idea of what he calls faculty X, which is the sort of capacity of consciousness to grasp the reality, yeah. uh, not just remembering, but sort of, you know, being, being brought back in this, this fullness of the whole experience of past time. And he, you know, he refers to the great symbol of this, uh, the, the Proust's Madeleine and, and remembrance of things past. And then there's, uh, and, you know, he, t- he talks about people like Herman Hesse, who I, you know, in my early teens had read, uh, Hesse, I was part of the sort of early 70s, huge Hesse revival yeah. in the late 60s and early 70s. And, you know, when I was in my early teens, I was reading all the Hesse novels. So seeing him mentioned in all the stuff that Wilson was talking about and, you know, so it just it really grabbed me. I think he brought a fresh objective perspective on it. And he yeah. says himself that he was convinced by doing the research. He said he started out doing it with his tongue in cheek and thinking, okay, well, I'll do this for the money and you know, I'll just do it. And then the more he continued the research, the more and more he felt that this was, uh, no, no, there was actually something really there. And so he was kind of converted in the process of writing the book. And then, you know, in the seventies and into the eighties, he was one of the main figures in sort of popular occult or yeah. you know, psychic studies or parapsychology. You know, he, he did television programs about it. And the follow-up book, Mysteries, that came out in 78, in many ways, I think, is not necessarily a better book, but it's about what was happening then. I mean, so much had happened between writing The Occult, when this was just sort of the the beginning of the big flood yeah. of, of pop occultism then, and then at the end, towards the end of that decade, when he did Mysteries, that was sort of cutting edge. You know, that was what was happening at the time. I remember that that, that book had a big impact on me. And I remember when actually when I you know, on this pilgrimage in 1983 down to Mevagizzi, where he lived in, in Cornwall, and on the way going to standing stones and stone circles and things like that. But I had that book, Mysteries, with me. That, that one was something that was really, really important. Yeah, and then the third one, Beyond the Occult, again, you know, he, he 
starts out saying that, well, you know, he had to sort of be coaxed into writing it because he felt he was going, going to repeat himself. Yeah. But he later said that that was his most important or his favorite nonfiction book. And what do you think uh, this trilogy can give today to a young reader or to somebody who starts being interested in the occult? What is still in it for them today? Well, I think his sheer curiosity and intellectual energy with which he pursues these things. And he's very persuasive, but he's also very, you know, he's very calm about it. He, he's very reasonable. He's not hectoring. He's not, he's not, he's not very kind of um, grandiose. Uh, he's not trying to be sort of mysterious. Well, he's not dogmatic, which is also... He's not dogmatic yeah. either. I mean, he's basically, I, I think it's common sense. And, yeah. uh, and uh, you know, he, he bases his, his whole pursuit on some fairly hardcore, you know, philosophy, phenomenology. One of the things I got, and I think people still get, and people always say to me what they loved about Wilson's books, is that it set, they set them off on following up all the people that he, he references. I remember tracking down Husserl. I mean, I, I, I'd already read Sartre and a bit of Nietzsche, but, you know, this is, I'm like 19 years old, so, you know, you kind of pick things up here and there, but it's so systematic. And I remember coming across Husserl the first time, I think, my God, this is really tough. You know, this isn't, this isn't just existentialism. This is kind of really hard, you know, straight very difficult philosophy. So his approach to all of this is pretty intellectual and it's pretty rational for someone. It's an irrational, I would say it's a rational approach to what we might call the irrational or a very conscious approach to this other, you know, other part of ourselves. And he develops it later on when he, he in the eighties, he develops the whole, his approach to the left and right brain, which is, incidentally, I found much of Wilson's ideas were now verified, at least, at least sort of echoed in a very important book that came out a few years ago, Uh, called The Master and His Emissary uh, by E. McGilchrist, who is actually a, a neuroscientist and who's, who studied you know, the brain. And I, I was pleased to discover that many of the kinds of insights, let's say, or hunches or ideas that Wilson had about the relationship between the two hemispheres, uh, at least from McGilchrist's investigations into it, were sort of you know, verified for me at least. So I think what you can get from Wilson's occult trilogy is first off a fantastic introduction to this whole area of human existence. Thrilling read. He's never boring. A kind of education. It's 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 sort of like a liberal arts education. If you follow up all the leads that he gives you, and he's wonderful at bringing lots of things together. I mean, as I say, this fundamental idea of the paradoxical nature of freedom. What is that? It it means that basically freedom is something that when it's threatened or inconvenienced in some way, its value, its importance. Its desirability is is you know, crystal clear, and uh, nothing could be more obvious. But uh, some for some reason, once the threat or once the inconvenience, once the challenge to the freedom has sort of subsided, that intensity of awareness of its value dissolves. It disappears. It dwindles. Somehow, our grasp of it weakens. And this was something that he wanted to understand. I mean, and this, this is kind of well, in one sense you can say, well, this is you know, this is sort of what's This is human nature, isn't it? But he's basically saying, well, why is, why is it? And it's a rational step-by-step -step approach to analyzing that problem. And fundamentally, it comes down to, again, what Husserl in his phenomenology called intentionality, where there's actually a kind of purpose of will, sake of a better word, mm -hmm. that we're not aware of. It's kind of unconscious, a subconscious will, um, in which we're not, our consciousness isn't merely reflecting the world outside, which is the standard kind of subject-object Cartesian mm -hmm. view. It's, yeah. it's somehow reaching out and grabbing it. So our, our, actually our, our grasp, in an almost real sense, of, of the world can be stronger or weaker. And in these sort of mystical moments or what he calls peak experiences, 
or these occult experiences, somehow this this intentionality is intensified. Yeah. Um, one of the things, again, for me, I mean, I read it, you know, I said this is over 40 years ago when I first read it, but I can remember feeling some of the things that he described. I said, yes, I know what that's like. You know, I, I know exactly what he's talking about there, but I didn't have the language. I didn't have the uh, metaphors or so I sort of, you know, in, through his understanding of it, I gradually came to understand these sort of experiences that I had myself. Well, thank you so much, Gary, for that impression on that trilogy and on Colin Wilson and his ideas in general. I appreciate much that you did that for us. And, well, I hope to have you back sometime soon on Thor's Hermes podcast and speak about your other books and other ideas and work. It's absolutely my pleasure, and I'd be very happy to do that. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, this was a real fresh and complimentary insight in what Colin Wilson's work meant and still means to the occult community. Thanks to Gary for his availability and presence here at Thor's Hermes. Let's now go for our last piece of music for today. Colin Stanley wanted some Tchaikovsky violin music, and Tchaikovsky violin music he shall have. Vols Sentimental.
This was Piotr Ilyich Tchaikovsky's Valse Sentimental, in a version for violin and orchestra played by Joseph Sakonov. The news. This week I'm going to present you our third featured visual artist on Thoughts Hermes. Of course, this can only be an announcement here on the podcast, and I really urge you to go to the website and to discover the art of Madeline von Förster. Her name sounds German, but she was born in San Francisco, but now lives with her husband in Germany. She uses a 500-year-old technique of mixing colors, oil and egg tempera, and that was created by the Flemish Renaissance masters. Her paintings might be linked stylistically to the past, but they point clearly into the present and the future through their themes. And then she is also using hermetic and occult themes for her art, and it is a collection of those paintings that we present on the arts page of the Thoth Hermes website. There you will also find links to her other paintings, her website, and also to a feature that was presented on the very important French-German TV channel Arte. Go and have a look. It is really worth discovering. In our other piece of news today, I would like to draw your attention to a new publisher created only one year ago. I'm talking about Falcon Books Publishing, founded by Tanya Robinson and Martin Fox. Both, but probably especially Martin, are no strangers to those of you who have been particularly interested in hermetic philosophy and meditation. Falcon Books Publishing was founded with the knowledge that the world is in dire need of more genuine adepts. Our purpose is to facilitate the rise of future adepts by providing them with resources that will help them solve the problems and overcome the challenges they face during their training. This is part of Falcon Books' mission statement. Martin and also Falcon Books Publishing are concentrating their efforts mostly on those fields and on health. Martin Fox has extensive experience in the publishing field and Tanya Robinson who has a degree from Westminster University London in traditional Chinese medicine, is a hermetic practitioner and runs the Facebook group Students of Franz Bardon. Bardon and those authors who have continued his work are also one of the main interests of the publishers. Falcon Books is dedicated to the unveiling of knowledge bringing forth wisdom from the past into the present for the future, 
to benefit mankind, says Tanya. And Martin adds, Hermetics is like a sun lamp on the natural process of development and growing up, a set of lessons in the art of being a human. Their published authors include Virgil, Ray del Sole, William Mistley and Martin Fox himself. Next to their program, you should also absolutely go and discover their website, which is much more than a publisher's website. But they present interviews with interesting personalities from the field, a blog, texts and advice on meditation, etc. All of this is really worth discovering. You will find the link to the website in our show notes. In order to give you a first impression on their book collection, our review section today contains two of their recent publishings. Books and other reviews The first book I want to introduce to you today is called The Spirit of Magic and was published in May 2017 by Falcon Press, as just mentioned. Its author goes by the pseudonym of Virgil, and as a subtitle he gives us Rediscovering the Heart of Our Sacred Art. Virgil, who seems to live in America, has come across occultism quite some time ago, and seems to have gone through many paths and schools, like so many of us do. Intrigued by the paranormal, he made experiences with Solomonic evocation, Kabbalah, Tarot, ceremonial magic, etc. But then he got fed up and put everything away. Until one day, through the writings of William Mistele, he discovered the books of Franz Bardon, and that seems to have been a revelation for him. I'm telling you all this because it seems important to me to know when you approach its book. Because at first, when you read the table of contents, for example, you might be a bit overwhelmed by the sheer number of topics and the extensiveness of his broad approach, and you might think that this is just another book where someone describes everything that is around the occult world without going in-depth anywhere. But if you have thought so, you were wrong. As Virgil has made the experience I described, and as his main focus in approaching all the other subjects is now through the work, eyes and teachings of Franz Barden, this has become a really fascinating book that might help many readers who, like Virgil, are maybe still searching their own path, their own experience, to actually find it. In a very easily readable contemporary language, he explains to the reader how he would approach matters of life and of magic in life. I particularly like his chapters on the balance of the elements and the one named Walking the Path, 
reading Virgil's texts makes you think that magic is so natural that you don't see a way without it. And well, is there really a way through life without it? To give you an impression, I would like to cite the small chapter where he talks about the famous magical quadriga to know, to dare, to will, to keep silence. Here is what he has to say about to know. Most students of magic assume this means the accumulation of facts, figures, correspondences and theories. This is only a small part of the sort of knowledge required of a magician. To know what is important and what is not, to know what are the essentials and what are the details, to know what is worth your time, to know how much of your time is worth, to know where to look for opportunities, to know how to seize opportunities, to know when to persist and when to quit, to know what you want in life, to know why you are practicing magic, to know yourself. These are the things that are truly worth knowing. Such knowledge cannot be gained by studying the Zohar or the knowledge lectures of the Golden Dawn or the theory section of Initiation into Hermetics. It can only be gained by studying yourself and your life." End quote. This book is really to be recommended for any student of the occult path as a help to finding your own way and yourself. The other book by Falcon Press Publishing that I'm talking about was issued in 2016 and is called The Path of the Mystic, authored by Rai Del Sole, another writer using a pseudonym. He lives in Germany near Frankfurt, works as a naturopath for psychotherapy and as a spiritual healer and is an expert in metaphysics and mysticism. The subtitle of this book also clarifies a few things. It is called Special Edition for Franz Barden's Practitioners. And this is how I understood this book and how I believe it was meant. It is the approach to the teachings and practice of Franz Barden not so much for the hermetist or the mag magical practitioner, but rather for the mystic. He takes those teachings and explains to us in 33 short chapters the different aspects and approaches the interested student should or can have to use Franz Barton's techniques as a mystical approach. I would like to mention the title of some chapters to give you an idea. The Right Kind of Sacrifices Healing Through Divine Unity Universal Religion Uniting with God as Barton describes 
a technique of praying. I think this makes you understand the approach that Rydal Sole is taking. Even though the mystical boss has not, well, maybe not yet, opened all his secrets and mysteries to me, I find the approach he is taking extremely fascinating and rather unique. This is certainly a work that will make Barden more available and interesting to students and occultists with a mystical approach. And if you want to know my opinion on that, this is a very good thing. The more people understand and practice Barden's hermetic teachings, the better. So, highly recommended for the appropriate audience. Okay, now this was again a longer episode. Thank you for listening and staying with us. Once again, I would like to encourage you to go to the website and check out the show notes where you will find important links to all the subjects treated today in our episode. Before we finish today, I would like to tell you what will be up in our coming episodes. Yes, I will announce to you not only our guest for the next, but for the coming three episodes. And this is because all three are really very important, almost mythical figures of the Western esoteric tradition. In episode number 10, coming to you on August 31st, we will speak with Oberon Zell, the Wizard Oz, like he calls himself sometimes, one of the founding fathers of the neo-pagan movement, only to mention one approach. Two weeks later, in episode 11, it is the turn of another one of the big names of occultism in all its facets, the one and only Frater Thabion, Karol Pogue Runyon. And then on September 28, we will be able to listen to the Doyen of the esoteric and occult realms, the inspiring and loving Dolores Ashcroft Nowitzki. Leading those three interviews was enchanting and I am very grateful to all three of them to have spent time with me for you, my listeners. And all three are proof of what Oberon Sell said in his interview, I have simply no time to become old. Until the next episode, I wish you all a very good and blessed time with a lot of new experiences and insights. This has been episode number 9 of the Thoth Hermes podcast. Wendy Rule's Night Sea Journey is joining us in the background. And it is now my turn as your host to say goodbye and safe return. Take care, stay tuned. Hear you soon. It's a way home.